You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he ain't nothing but a hound dog, crying all the time. It's Mr. Jeff McLarge-Huge. I ain't never caught a rabbit, just putting that out there. But you're a friend of mine for a long time. <laughs> for a long time, indeed. How's it going, man? Jeff, it happened. It finally happened. Uh-oh. My washing machine <laughs> the bed. <laughs> oh, no. That's always great yep. when that happens. I was so excited. (laughs) Yeah, I went downstairs in my cellar to get the laundry out of the machine, and it's like splish, splash. I'm taking a bath everywhere. Uh, Um, Yeah, the hose that went from the pump to the tank had a leak in it, and there was leaking water everywhere. And then I I went upstairs, and I ordered a part instantly. I accidentally ordered two. Ah. Yep. And with shipping, it's $40, yeah. and they have not come in yet. Oh. And then right after I ordered the parts, I drove to Lowe's and bought a new washing machine <laughs> because <laughs> I put like 15 minutes thought into it, and I said, I cannot be bothered putting this hose into the washing machine right. that I hate. Yes. We discussed this. Yes. I had, had a front loader, mm-hmm. which I hated. Yes. And I think I said to you a couple of weeks ago, First opportunity I get, I'm getting rid of it. Yeah. Front-loading washing machines. They make your clothes dizzy, but they don't make them clean. Ugh. They make them wet. Uh, that's about it. Welcome back to the Top Loader Club, Bill. You and me. Yep. With wet, wet clothes that are clean yep. when they come out. That's the way it works. Yeah. That was one thing. Like I did the trial run with it, and then I pulled the clothes out, and I'm like, these are very wet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so one thing that I learned that I'm going to have to do with this new washing machine is it has a option on it for like drain and spin, which you would think would be a part of the normal cycle. And I think it is, but I think you have the option of doing it again, which I think I'm going to have to do because yeah, that first couple of batches that came out, they were very wet. I'll I'll tell you why that's there. And I learned this the hard way. It's so that modern top loading machines lock Yes. When you put the top down, you start the cycle. So if it's unbalanced and you want to just lift the top and have it stop so you can go in and like move things around so it won't go ba-dunk, 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 ba-dunk when it's trying to spin up, um, you you can't. You have to stop it all the way and lift it up and move things around. So what my washing machine does is to prevent you from lifting it up and trying to go in and mess around with things, if it can't get a balanced spin, it stops and it starts to add water again. And it fills up and it tries to float everything around so that it can balance naturally. And then it tries to spin out. But that doesn't always work. And you might have to use that to drain it and spin it so that you can open it up and then move things around to make them balance. I learned that the hard way doing what I have a big blanket on my bed. My dog also sleeps on my bed with me. My dog, as all dogs do, leaves hair behind when she's not on the bed. So I have to wash it every 
month or so to take the dog hair off and it's big and heavy and gets super saturated with water and it doesn't balance so. and sometimes you just throw the dog in there to even things right, out exactly. but that's that's kind of why it's, that's there so i had to relearn how to use it because modern ones were way different than the you know caveman days type washing machine right. i had before i got the front loader my friend was telling me he had a, you know his sister had thrown like a pillow yeah one pillow into the washing machine and then he just hears and then he's like (laughs) he goes downstairs and the washing machine is like walking Walking across across the the laundry room like the only thing that's like holding it back is the hoses that are attached to the wall so it's like almost like bub the zombie from (laughs) day of the day yeah 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 it's funny the one that i had you know that i bought 30 years ago now was like a one from sears or kenmore where I could just yeah. lift the top and throw things in and take things out. Didn't, it didn't care. It was oh, like right. safety. Dude, this is a Kenmore. Safety is for people who have money. You don't have money. That's why <laughs> I have a Kenmore. And and when I bought this other one, I was like, I'm trying to open the top so I can throw in like another sock that fell on the floor. And I can't. I have to yeah. stop the thing and lift it up and safety. So, well, congratulations on your new washing machine. And I am yeah. right there with you with uh, taking them apart and fixing them is a difficult task that no one should do. No, this- this cigarette lighters to me now. Yeah. No, it's broke. Throw it away. Buy a new one. See you later. All right. So uh, before we get the show started, I do have my very popular and always widely received trivia question for you. So I was watching some videos that were talking about how there's certain words in other languages that there's no English translation for. Right. And we'll touch upon this later on in the show. Oh. Anyway, coming the other direction from other languages, people trying to learn English they can find it very challenging because there are certain words in the English language that have multiple meanings. Ah. Which word in the English language has the most definitions? Ooh. Which word in the English language has the most definitions? Huh. I just said that. Well, I had to say it again just to make sure that my brain understood the question. Wow. I don't know. That's a great question. Isn't it? That is a good one. Yeah. You know, I don't generally like these. Because I get a lot of them wrong, <laughs> like I'm going to get this one wrong. But this is one that even if I get it wrong and then you tell me the answer, I'm going to know more leaving the show recording than I did coming into it. Ah. And that's the point. And that's the point. I like that. All right. So this is the week beginning June the 6th. And because we have such a great and hard trivia question for you, I'm going to let you go first this week. Ah, I like that. June 6th, 1984. The video game Tetris is first released in the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union, pre-breakup, by a guy named Alexei Pajitnov. As far as bridging the cultural divides, you know, I'm going to allow Tetris for being one of those things that came out of the Soviet Union that spread all over the place and never really had political baggage attached to it and started to normalize people from the Soviet Union as, like, normal people who played video games. Yep. This is another cultural divide, too. I know in 2022, things are way, way, way different, Mm -hmm. okay? So the game came out in Russia, in or Soviet Union, in 1984, but it really got teeth here in America, probably, like, 88 or 89 when it came over to the Nintendo, uh, the NES. There was a cultural divide because that was one video game that I remember that the girls that we hung around with liked. Yes. Back in the late 80s and early 90s, video games were, there's more of a dude thing than a girl thing. Like I said, I know it's very different now, Mm -hmm. but back then you didn't have a lot of girl gamers like we do now. Right. Uh, But Tetris was something that 
everybody liked and everybody loved playing it you know when we were talking about this as being our first thing today i thought like yeah you know i still reference this this game like every single day i probably reference this game today usually with regard to cajoling my children about putting things in the dishwasher in a way that will allow me to take them out of the dishwasher as clean dishes like didn't i usually say something like didn't i let you guys play enough tetris as kids to to know like how to put the the bowls in here so that they'll actually get washed and i start humming along to what i think is the song and they just walk away from me but that game that kind of puzzle game was really really new it was really different for a coin op there were a couple that were popular before that like remember quicks which is like yeah kicks kicks yeah with the you had to go around and like not touch the thing and make the boxes right there were yes. only a few puzzle games that were coin-op friendly, but Tetris was humongously popular as a coin-op and then humongously popular on the Nintendo Game Boy. It was perfectly suited to the little screen and the trolls and to the NES. That was the next point I was going to make is I know so many people who had the Game Boy, the original black and white, not even black and white, kind of like puke green and black yep. screen that ran on two AA batteries yep. and it came with Tetris. Yes. And then like... It was almost pointless to buy another video game for it because every other game on it was fun, but it wasn't as fun as Tetris. It wasn't Tetris as fun was as best. Tetris. That's exactly right. And you could play that game like it was like solitaire on a Windows 95 PC. You just keep playing like, oh, I got yep. 80 lines. <laughs> oh, I just need a flat one. Oh, you know. I, yep. I really, really enjoyed playing that game. I told you I'd do some retro gaming, and I literally just went back and played Tetris, I'll say, two weeks ago. And I was like, this game is so fun and frustrating at the same time. Yeah. All right. So June the 7th, 1993, birthday boy Prince changes his name from Prince to a symbol. Uh, <laughs> look, if you want to get out of a contract, that's how you do it. Well, I'm sure there's other ways of doing it, but that's one way of doing it, yeah. When you resort to changing your name to an unpronounceable symbol so that you don't have to make records for, like, Warner Brothers anymore, and you wait out the term of your contract and still release music on your own as whatever your unpronounceable symbol is, you know that that, that there's some, like, really hardcore contract language that you're trying to navigate around that's difficult to find your way out of. And he found a way to do it. I always thought that was really, really clever of Prince the unpronounceable symbol, and his lawyers to find that loophole and exploit it. I was just about to say, you know how the singer from Offspring has got like a a PhD in like microbiology or something like that? He's like a a super smart guy. I think Prince might have passed the bar at some point because that is some legal crazy bullshit to be pulling off. Right. At his level. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not like this was like some little band... You know, this is Prince. This is like the, the number one recording artist of that time. Right. Right, right. And it reminds me like a, a way that like other guys have gotten kind of around it. When I'd read and finally understood why Prince made the change that he did. It's like the two guys that were in the Turtles, right? Howard Kalen and uh, Mark Volman. When the Turtles yeah. broke up, they still had a contract with like Moby Dick Records, I think was the name of the company. Some fly-by-night guys who just released turtles records they couldn't perform with their own names and they couldn't perform as the turtles they performed as flo and eddie and two different people with legal names that were that were that the like the and ended up in in frank zappa's band but it was the, for the same reason they they weren't allowed to to perform as themselves because it would violate the contract that they had one thing i remember is prince did not like doing interviews yeah he had gone on the Rosie O'Donnell show. Mm-hmm. At that point, because you couldn't pronounce the, the, the symbol, 
he was more commonly known as the artist formerly known as Prince. So Rosie O'Donnell called, she's like, can I call you Taff Cap? Which is an anagram for the artist formerly known as Prince. And he goes, "Uh, you can just call me the artist. She goes, okay, so Taffy, she called him Taffy, right? So Taff Cap, Taffy. So he says to her, he goes, do you know what Taffy rhymes with? She's like, uh, Taffy, Laffy, Waffy. He goes, no, no, no. It rhymes with goodbye. Oh. And he got up to leave. <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of Prince records, but I have two of Purple Rain, which every person our age has, probably. And I have Rage Into the Joy Fantastic, which is the second album he put out as Unpronounceable Symbol Guy. Mm-hmm. His records, are, he's never put a bad record out. He's just put out stranger and stranger records as they've gone along. He's an interesting guy, and I wish he would have done more interviews because he's this weird sort of like musical cloudy hole, you know, in the collection of stuff that I have and like to listen to because I don't know that much about the guy other than that he changed his name to get out of a contract. All right, moving on to the 8th. What do you got? June 8th, 2020, former astronaut Kathy Sullivan is the first woman to reach the deepest point in the ocean, the Challenger Deep in the Marianas Trench. And she is not just the first woman to go to the Challenger Deep in the Marianas Trench, the deepest place on Earth. She's also the first American woman to spacewalk. So she's been to the very bottom of the ocean and she's been in space, which has got to make for a ripping OK Cupid profile if she is a, <laughs> if she's out there dating. And the good news is she's not prone to nosebleeds, apparently. You know, what's your idea of a quiet day? My idea of a quiet day is being on the International Space Station, tethered to the EEV unit as I'm outside with a wrench, (laughs) tightening a solar panel. Why? What's that day like for you? Can you imagine, like, finding yourself sitting across the table from her? So what do you like to do? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Like, like, you know, I've gone out on on some dates and I'm, like, you know, talking about how I drove cross country a couple of times. And it's like, oh, yeah? Oh. You have a spacewalk? You haven't been to the bottom of the Marianas Trench? Beautiful this time of the year. Oh, you've been fishing? I've been fishing too. I've seen flounder at the bottom of the world. This is crazy. I think it's amazing when people can, the spectrum of, like a spectrum of human events or personal events to be able to do those two things at those two ends of the spectrum. I don't even know what you could do to make the spectrum bigger, to go from Mariana's Trench to spacewalking. It's so funny to think that there's like the finite number of places that you could go to the extreme, and she's done both. Oh, yeah? Check this out. When I saw Rush the first time, I was in the front row. And the last time I saw Rush, I was in the back of the room. Very similar. Very similar. Very similar. (laughs) All right. So June the 9th, 1667 is the first public art display in Palaces, which is, or I'm probably saying that wrong, Palace, Palace, I don't know, it's French. Uh, the Palace Royale in Paris, France. Wait, I, I want to make sure I understand. You're saying this is the first art exhibition, public art exhibition. That's what I, that's what I have here, yeah. So also in France, there are caves full of paintings that I'm sure cave people were like, look, come, look, <laughs> and he points. Or she points up at the wall, and there's a picture of a gazelle and a saber-toothed tiger. <laughs> Draw, still rife. <laughs> you know? And they like, oh, other folks should come see this. We charge them two rock each. Let's go get Ugg. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's go get Ook and Nude, and let them look. So, I call this man's inhumanity to man. 
<laughs> I call this one sadness. It is picture of water buffalo tromping on man with spear. And you know what would happen too? There would be like this like real avant-garde piece over there in the corner. This one speaks to me. Uh, that's a pile of sh yeah, Ugh. Sorry. <laughs> Everyone a critic. The, no, no, that not installation. That pile of lunch bones. Yeah. <laughs> well, at any rate, whether or not this is the actual first public art exhibition of all time or just the one at the, the Palais Royale, let me be the first person to say, like, if you have a local museum, please go patronize it. Those places are f amazing, and you never know what you're going to see, and they're well worth your time and money. Please don't take a shit in the corner. <laughs> please, yes, please uh, do not touch the paintings or take a shit in the corner. Oog. <laughs> All right, what do we got for the 10th? June 10th, we've got a fantastic, fun holiday, Bill. It is National Flip-Flop Day, or as I like to call uh, it, my least favorite shoes in the whole wide world day. I can honestly say I have never owned a pair of flip-flops in my adult life. I may have had some as a kid, but I think like anything past the age of 15, No. Like, I've never owned a pair of flip-flops, and I've never owned a sweater. I've definitely never worn them both at the same time. <laughs> well, I've, I think if I wore flip-flops and a sweater at the same time, you or anyone else who saw me would be within their rights to have me taken to a special room, pads all the way up to the ceiling, and a door that only locks from the outside. But... Oh, my friend Amy wears flip-flops, like, year-round. Like, literally, we were doing a Christmas event, and she shows up, and she's wearing flip-flops, and I said, do you have a calendar in your house? And she said, yeah. I was like, is it broken? You're wearing flip-flops. It's December. Yeah. Uh, I have flip-flops, and I, I'll tell you why I've got them. I used to have two pairs of flip-flops, too. I had the good pair, the ones that I bought because I forgot my sandals, my Tiva sandals in the hotel. Those are the ones I wear to church on Sundays. <laughs> yes, those are my fancy ones, the ones I wear with long pants. Uh, the ones that I usually wear, I left in my hotel room when we were vacationing at Florida. Uh -huh. So I was at Universal Studios in the, like the big water park part of their yeah. park, uh, Volcano, Volcano Bay. Alley or whatever. Yeah, Volcano Bay was wicked fun. The the one thing that's not themed after Harry Potter, right? Right. Yeah. Yes. And I needed flip flops, so I'm like, oh. I went over to the gift shop, and I bought sixty a sixty dollar pair of flip flops because that was all I could get, and a twelve dollar wow. bottle of sunscreen, which did not protect me from getting a second degree sunburn. Sixty dollar flip flops. Dude, do you know how often I wore those things? I found reasons to put them on. I was like, 60, these are the most expensive shoes I own, and they don't, they're not even full-on shoes. I wore them to walk my dog. I wore them to the gym, because and I started wearing flip-flops at the gym because I got a biological weapons-grade strain of athlete's foot fungus at one of the gyms. It was. It, I looked down at my feet, oh, and I saw yeah. like Kim Jong-un looking back up at me. It was terrible. No, that's advice I give everybody. Dude, when you go to the gym, flip-flops in the shower. Got it, got it. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. And then I've got a pair that I, I paid $3 for that my, so, dog, you know what? that my dog bit the top off of one, but it's in just the, the right space that it doesn't bother my feet, so it looks like I ate part of my flip-flop. <laughs> Those are the ones that I wear to the gym now. So, you know what? Now that I think about it, I have to redact my statement. Oh. I did buy a pair of flip-flops uh, whenever I worked at the Renaissance Fair, I was working out heavy at that time, and I wanted to go to the gym before going to work, but I would need to shower before going to work. So I bought a pair of flip-flops so I could wear them in the shower at the gym, but that's the only time I wore them. I didn't wear them, like, about town. They were orange. Uh, one of my children chipped their tooth because of flip-flops at the Boys and Girls Club. They were running across the tile floor. 
And if you've ever worn flip-flops for more than four seconds, you know you can't really do that. Then she caught a toe and then face down on the tile. Oh, big starfish on the floor, huh? Big, ex- yeah, that was a expensive. Uh, f- I made her throw the flip-flops away. <laughs> she wasn't allowed to wear them anymore. Once I stopped laughing, I made her throw those flip-flops oh, away. Oh, I was so mad. Like, oh, why would you mess up your teeth like that? Oh, God. I mean, it's not like you could do anything about it. Right, right. So I can't fix it. I'd take her to the dentist. The dentist fixed it, but still. At home dentistry. At home dentistry. All right. So moving on to June the 11th, 1977. KC and the Sunshine Band's hit single, I'm Your Boogeyman, hits number one. I love KC and the Sunshine Band. This has to be the like their number one song. It's it. This is my favorite of all of their music, this, okay. this particular single. So your friend Bill uh, has a Spotify account. And I have pulled up Casey and the Sunshine Band's page for somebody who has been, you know, pretty inactive over the past couple of years. Uh, he still gets over four million monthly listens, so that's pretty good. The number one song that people listen to more often than any other song is not "I'm Your Boogeyman." Um, it's not. I would think it would. No, I would think it would be "Shake, Shake, Shake Your Booty." That's the. That's the. To me, that's his most famous song. Another killer no. track. Yes. Yeah. But no, it was like a late hit for him. Give it up. Remember that one from the eighties? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, na 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the number one song on Spotify for by a huge margin. Huh. Like almost double the next one. The next one down was "That's the Way." Uh huh. Uh huh. I like it. That's understandable. That was a big. That was a big hit. But like again, I I remember his seventy stuff way more than anything that he did after nineteen eighty or eighty one or so. So. So yeah. me not hearing "Give It Up" means it's not going to show up on like '70s radio, which is why I, I didn't think of it. I'd, Probably why you don't hear it. Yeah, why I don't hear it. Uh, yeah, the number three song down, arguably, I think is his best song. Is it my favorite song? No, it is not. But it's. I think it's his best song. I think it's an incredibly well-written song. Please don't go. Great song. Anybody could record that song and make it amazing. Yeah, that's a that's an amazing song. Yeah. For me, when I was putting the floor in my library downstairs all by myself with the radio on, I was able to, I learned over the course of the week that it took me to learn how to do it, was that about every four hours and 10 minutes, they'd repeat the playlist on (laughs) the 70s radio. So I knew kind of when I'm Your Boogeyman was coming up. So I would get all excited to know that it was coming. And that was when I would take a break from like putting down floor planks, vinyl plank flooring (laughs) to listen to that song and dance around like an idiot. So... All right, uh, going back to our trivia question for a a quick second, a video I was watching, there was a word, and I forget what language it was, and I don't remember the word, what the word was, so this conversation is almost completely irrelevant, but I thought it was a really cool thing that this word meant the kind of emotion you feel when a song just hits you and you feel like jumping around and dancing and singing. There was actually a word for it, and I was like, wow, we... We need that word in our language. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like the kind of word you end up with in German, which is like, schnitzenfrackenglucken. <laughs> yep. And the other thing I wanted to say was, I do not own a pair of boogie shoes, but I think that concept is amazing. <laughs> As do I. Uh, I had boogie flip-flops. My $60 flip-flops <laughs> that we were talking about, by the way. Not boogie flip-flops, but they eventually wore out and broke, and I was very sad. Those were my boogie flip-flops. All right, and let's wrap up the week. June 12th, 1981, 
groundbreaking action film, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the very first of the Indiana Jones series, directed by Steven Spielberg and produced and partly written by George Lucas, premieres in the United States and catapults Harrison Ford above and beyond even the fame that he had as Han Solo in the Star Wars films. Oh, yeah. His stock went way up after that. Yeah. It's like... Mark Hamill, who is the star of Star Wars, he's Luke Skywalker. He did, like, what, Corvette Summer and not much else, right? That guy couldn't get himself arrested. And then Harrison Ford, who is this, like, anti-hero. Yeah, all of a sudden, he's, like, the like the biggest star in Hollywood at that point, right? Yep. Raiders of the Lost Ark is an homage to, to older sort of action-adventure serials from the 1930s, right? Yes. And Star Wars is a throwback to sort of science fiction serials from the 1930s, both with input from both Lucas and Spielberg, where they've gone back to these tried and true styles of filmmaking that had ceased to be for their inspiration and took the best parts of it and ultimately reinvigorated two genres of film, science fiction with Star Wars and action adventure cinema, which really didn't exist the same way before Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. Huh? No, you're absolutely right. And that opening sequence, like that first like 20 minutes of the movie, it does very little to tell the story. Right. It's more of like a character building thing. Yep. It's a, it's like its own little movie. Yes. There was a time, and that time might be right now. Well, this, it's a little different now because there's way more Star Wars movies and the universe is much bigger. Right. But at one time, before the prequels came out, there was three Indiana Jones... And three Star three Wars. Three Star Wars. Yep. And I was like, you know what? I'm pretty sure I like the Indiana Jones movies better. Controversial, but I said it. Well, uh, you know, I think there's a lot to love in both of those series at that yeah. time. I remember and being tremendously blown away by Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's one of the few films that I came home and told like my brothers, my mom, my dad, my friends who hadn't seen it, my cousins who hadn't seen it. You have to go see this. And so it's so amazing. It's completely fantastic. It's like nothing you've ever seen before. And for an 11 or 12-year-old kid saying that, they were like, shut up, kid. But yeah. I was still able to get people to go. I think I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark like six times in the cinema with different oh, really? people almost every time. It was just one of those. I went back and saw it again and again and again. I remember, uh, I think it was 2003, a friend of mine had gotten married and I was in the wedding party. I was the only guy in the wedding party that didn't drink, you know? Mm-hmm. So everybody in the, all you know, all the groomsmen all got this, like, you know, bottle of hooch or whatever the hell it was. I don't know. It was a bottle of whiskey, I think, right? right? But I, I didn't get a bottle of whiskey because I don't drink. So the dude bought me the Indiana Jones DVD box set, right? Which I still have and I can still watch, like a bottle of whiskey, which would be long gone by now. <laughs> right. So who's laughing now? Who's laughing oh. now? <laughs> All right, and let's go on to the celebrity birthdays. Right. June the 6th, 1923, author V.C. Andrews. Oh, I remember. So, oddly enough, V.C. Andrews, her name is actually Cleo Virginia Andrews, so she's not even V.C., she's C.V. Well. Whatever, yeah. She is best known for writing the Flowers in the Attic uh, series mm-hmm. of books. I remember those books when I was like in seventh grade, all of the advanced reader girls on my bus that were reading that yes. book. Yeah, that was as popular with girls at that time as Tetris was 10 years later. Yeah. 
it was one of those like it dealt with more mature themes i think than stuff that uh, when i was in that i was reading starship troopers and and hard right. science fiction and things and they were reading I don't know, books about kids locked in the attic. and Go figure. I don't know. Man, seventh grade girls are weird. They were weird when yeah, I was in was, seventh grade, and they're still weird. Yeah, it was a very, like, odd story. And there's a lot of, a lot of books in that series. That book came out in 1979, and our friend VC died, like, maybe seven years later. She died in 1986. But there are a lot of books credited to VC Andrews, but they're all written by other people. Under the V.C. Andrews name, yeah. Yeah, that's not super unusual. They did the same thing with the Destroyer series and stuff by Clive Cussler. I think he's still alive, but he's pretty much just skin at this point. I don't think he does yeah. any writing anymore. All right, moving on to the 7th. June 7th, 1952, Irish actor Liam Neeson is born. He's probably best known for being in Schindler's List. And for the last three or four years, all of his films being direct-to-streaming shiz. Here here we go again. Probably best known for something, and then you leave out the thing he's best known for. (laughs) For for, for being in Schindler's List, I think, and getting an Oscar. Yeah, and I think his most recent famous movie would be Taken. I think that's where people are most going to remember him from. He was also Ra's al Ghul in Batman Begins. And most of the time in movies now, he's just punching things in the face. Yeah, his films, like, if you think of Taken as, like, a high point in his career, it's been all downhill since then. And it's uh-huh. a lot of real, really formulaic films. And it's too bad because he's a good actor. But, like, yeah. yeah, man, I didn't like Taken. I wanted to. I was ready for Taken. I watched the trailer for Taken 900 times. It was like, yes! And then I watched it. I was like, "Absolutely, this guy would be killed." And the villain is really dumb in this in this movie. But that's how I felt about Taken Two and Taken Three. And Taken Taken, I'm, I'm taken a chances by not watching any more of them. Uh, my first exposure to him was when he was in Sam Raimi's big budget superhero film, Dark Man. People were like, ah. "People don't make superhero movies," and it's like half superhero movie and half horror movie, like classic yep. style horror movie, and it's really well done, and he's really good in that. And you can see how that springboarded him into better and media roles because the acting to be in that film was was really, really good. I saw that movie in the theater, and I don't – put it this way. I remember so little about that movie, I don't remember that Liam Neeson was in it. (laughs) Well, he's mostly underneath makeup for the whole film, so I'm not surprised. I don't remember anything. You could make up a plot about that movie on the spot just make up anything and i'd be like yeah that, that's that's good yeah Look, I'll, i remember that because i don't remember anything about that movie yeah i know you may not remember it but like do you remember seeing the movie in the cinema like with me that's a movie that i saw with you at the movies no see i don't even remember that that movie's so unremarkable to me i don't remember i saw that movie with you you did yes <laughs> Yep. Nope, don't remember anything yeah, about and it. And it's funny because I'm, I'm pretty sure we probably talked about the movie afterwards and I said, you like the movie? And you went, what movie? And I said, the <laughs> movie we just saw, Doctor Man. You go, I've never heard of it. I'm like, Bill. And I said, who, who the hell are you? <laughs> who are you? And what are you doing in my car? Bill, you're in my car. So, <laughs> All right, moving on to June the 8th, 1933. Funny, funny, funny woman, Joan Rivers. Way funnier than you remember her being. I urge you all yeah. to go back and listen to some of her comedy specials. She is unbelievably funny. Like I said, I have Spotify, and I had gotten into a conversation with a friend of mine, and we were talking about Joan Rivers, and I was like, oh my goodness, I wonder if, because I used to have her comedy album, What Becomes of Semi-Legend Most, yep. on cassette. I hadn't heard it since those days, you know? 
So I went back and yeah, it's on it's on Spotify and I went back and I listened to it and oh my goodness, it's funny. I mean, it's humor that wouldn't fly from a modern comedian in 2022. No. You know, it's very insulting kind of uh Yeah, she definitely she's uh, more like comedy. uh she's more like uh Vegas comedians from like the late 60s and early 70s. Yes. Like Don Rickles style, like George right. Carlin before he became George Carlin that we know and love, like that she has that one foot in classic, like the classic yes. end of sophisticated comedy and another foot that just ran roughshod in the funniest way possible through the 1970s and into the 80s and became a staple of 80s late night comedy TV. The one that got me was she was talking about, you know, going to the doctor's office and, you know, intrusive examinations uh, for, for men and women. And she said... You know, with a man, he can fantasize. He could be just lying there on his stomach, and it's like, I'll tell you nothing, you Nazi pig. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's awesome. I, I used to look forward to when she would guest host, like, The Tonight Show because yeah. she was so much funnier than Johnny Carson was. He wasn't there. <laughs> she was always super prepared, but she always seemed to pretend like it was all just coming off the cuff. But she's so witty, you'd never know if she was or wasn't prepared. It made the guests always uncomfortable. It was always so, so funny. Yep, funny woman. I uh, Like I said, I urge you all to go back and, and listen to at least that album. Least, yep. yeah. Absolutely do it. Well worth it. Going on? All right, June 9th, 1981, Natalie Portman. Oh, speaking of Star Wars prequels. She's speaking of Star Wars prequels. Good old Padme Amidala herself, an Israeli-American actress. She was in V for Vendetta. She was in Black Swan, which won some Oscars and is really sort of weird. She was in on the Star Wars prequels as Anakin Skywalker's love interest. Uh, she was Queen Amidala from Naboo, oh. and Liam Neeson was Qui-Gon Jinn. Probably best known for Taken, and we forgot the fact <laughs> that he was Qui-Gon Jinn in the Star Wars prequels. Yes, exactly. Natalie Portman came to prominence by her appearance in the film Leon the Professional directed by that French guy who did uh, City of a Thousand Planets and The Fifth Element. She made stuff after that, but nowhere near as much until she was an adult adult and started to do things that were more adult-oriented. She, like, never got into, like, teen comedies or teen drama films or any of that stuff. She sort of disappeared after Leon the Professional for a while and then came back as an 18 or 19-year-old and started doing good films. She's currently slated to pick up the... Mjolnir as uh, Lady Thor, female Thor. Oh, the really? Marvel Universe. Yeah, she she was in the first two. Yeah, same character who becomes the female Thor. Yeah, because in Endgame, whenever they do all the time traveling and all that, they couldn't get Natalie Portman. They had to use this like like wax figure or whatever it was. And her appearances on Saturday Night Live have been always fantastic. She is actually very very funny. All right, moving on to. June the 10th, 1965, another beautiful woman who apparently didn't get the memo that you're supposed to age at some point in time in your life. Yes. Uh, Liz Hurley, uh, who is 57 years old, owns a bikini company and models them herself. And let me tell you, I follow her on Instagram. She is quite lovely. She is. She's the only thing that I like, the only part of the remake of Bedazzled that I like. She plays the devil in Bedazzled, and she's very, very good and very funny in that. Yeah, she was a great character. I, I actually like that remake quite a bit. I like both versions, the original and the remake. I think they both have their own charms. I, I think they both have their own charms, too. I just There's fewer of them, I think, in the remake. But, again, it doesn't matter. It's not her. That She's great in it. And Brendan Fraser is yeah. great in it, too. She was great in the Austin Powers film, the first one. I don't think she was in the second one. 
No, she's only... Well, she's a bit in the second one, mostly in the first one, yeah. And I remember her first in Passenger 57. Oh, jeez. That was my introduction to Elizabeth Hurley was in Passenger 57, where she was the air steward who was also one of the terrorists. All right, moving on to the 11th. June 11th, 1945, Adrian Barbeau who you may not recognize the name, but you definitely recognize the face. She was in some genre films like Swamp Thing and Escape from New York. She was also a staple of 70s TV on Maud and The Love Boat and Fantasy Island and other TV programs as well. She's a fantastic actress. Ultimately, I think, provided some voice acting for Batman the Animated Series as Catwoman. Has been in all kinds of cool things. She's really, really, really fun to watch. And that leaves me absolutely nothing to talk about her. Uh, <laughs> you just ran down the entire list. I uh, although I, I have met her. Uh, oh. She's very, very nice. She was doing the, the horror con circuit because she was in Swamp Thing. Yeah, she was doing the autograph circuit. It was actually on my birthday, and I told her I was like, very excited that I get to meet her on my birthday. Did you ever see Swamp Thing? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that movie's an underrated gem. That's one of Wes Craven's better 80s pictures, I think. Yeah, that was uh, one of those... HBO, you know, movie of the month kind of a thing that we ended up watching a hundred times, yep. All right, and wrapping up the birthdays, oh, we got a twofer. On June the 12th, 1986, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, who are, oddly enough, the less known of the Olsen sisters these days. They definitely are out of the weird Hollywood limelight. They are totally in the New York fashion scene limelight as i understand it their parents just invested all the money that they earned on full house and in all the nine million mary kate and ashley olsen directed vhs videos that came out in the early 90s right and they are worth a ton of money and have their own fashion house and stuff yeah collectively they're worth a half a billion dollars that's a lot of jingle between the two of them yeah there are uh, some uh, fun Instagram pages where you can find people who just post pictures of them standing outside of buildings in New York where they're just standing outside smoking and drinking coffee and looking forlorn. It really, it's really funny. <laughs> um, and like in a weird, like voyeuristic way, it's sad, but funny at the same time. So I don't know. They're just sitting there smoking their cigarettes saying, talk all you want. We, I noticed that you don't have a half a billion dollars. Right. Remember when we used to be on Full House? Yeah, that was cool. And then that's it. You know, cigarette goes in the trash and they go back inside to their, the buildings they own in New York City. So I'm over here smoking my cigarette and you're over there listening to The Worst Song Ever. Okay, Jeff, what do we got in the tank (laughs) for the worst song ever this week? Bill, do you remember the 1980s? I know you don't remember Darkman, but do you remember the 1980s? Did Darkman happen in the 80s? (laughs) (laughs) Let me take you back to the Halcyon year of 1983. We're both watching. I remember 1983. We're both we're watching MTV and we're seeing videos from Duran Duran, Thompson Twins, Van Halen, and then some dude from Western Germany called Taco. Oh God! Singing an Irving Berlin song called "Putting on the Ritz," which we all knew from watching Young Frankenstein, done as like a weird, surprisingly straight techno style cover of that song and. Which is like legit, like a minute and eight seconds long in its actual written form, and it has to be lengthened for MTV by adding in verses from other Irving Berlin songs. Let's play a clip to remind people of the weirdness of Taco. If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Putting on the ritz. Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes and cut away coat, perfect fits. 
putting on the Ritz. Dress up like a million dollar trooper. Trying hard to look like Gary Cooper. Come, let's Much like all other tacos in my life, this song goes straight through me. It goes straight through you. I unabashedly loved this song when it was out. I made my dad put it in the jukebox at the restaurant. Yep. And I listened to it approximately 500 million jillion times. The whole thing is, like you said before, it's a pretty straight cover. Yeah. The drum beat is just... Yep. It's nothing fancy. It's got a... A simple, I don't want to say dance beat, but that single, you know, on the two and four beat was actually kind of popular at that time with like, was like the Hooked on Classics and stuff like that. It's just a simple thing. And it's a catchy song. Yes. And if you can sing along to it, it's going to hook, you know? Yeah. I I remember this song being crazy popular. Well, he wasn't crazy popular. I mean, this song was crazy popular here in the United States for a short time. It charted. It went up to like number four or something here. And then it dropped off. In Canada and England and West Germany and New Zealand and other places, it stayed on the charts and did better. And the follow-up song, Singing in the Rain, which was just the song Singing in the Rain, also charted. I went back and listened to several taco songs today and I was... Uh, surprisingly, it did not keep my interest very well. <laughs> I went back and, and I was like, huh. So this guy's got like f- five albums. Of those five albums, the first four of them or so are classical, not classical, but like big band style, jazz style, old school American pop music from pre-1950. Again, it's all done dead straight, but with synthesizers. And it's really strange that he could commit to the bit for four albums. All four albums did really well all over the world, not in the United States. Yeah, uh, he actually has a little bit more than four. He has... You're counting... Now, the point I'm going to get, Mac, is you're counting the the six compilation greatest hits albums that also are his. Right. (laughs) Which is just... That's it. Yeah. Remixing the other songs from the other four albums in a different order. Yeah, like the first album is called After Eight. That's the one with putting on the Ritz on it, right? And then he's got another one called Let's Face the Music. Yep, that one has... That was like two years later, right? right? That one has uh, um, the Singing in the Rain and Chattanooga Choo Choo on it, among others. Uh, actually, Singing in the Rain is on that first oh, album. Oh, is it really? Okay. So then he does an album of swing classics... So he's got like the Chattanooga Choo Choo, that old Black Magic, right. uh, Pennsylvania Six Five Thousand, Tuxedo Junction, yeah. And then in 1986, he put an album called "Tell Me That You Like It," which sounds like a hostage situation at this point. <laughs> yes, like there should be a safe word on side two somewhere. Yeah. Then he put out an album just called Taco, simply called Taco. Yeah. But the next thing that they came out with is 1999, The Best of Taco. And guess what's on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I looked through all of these all of these things today. It's just, like I said, it's just, re- it's not remixes. It's just reordered songs shuffled around for each of those records. And mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you right now, I had no idea that he hadn't been like killed and eaten by the guy who did Rock Me Amadeus and then that died in a car accident. Because I thought Taco had died. I thought he was dead. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, was like, I can understand oh, why. Yeah. He's still alive. He just put a song out in 2020 called Heavy Metal, which is very, very strange and not a classical style. It's not a classic song, but it's a very classical styled song about robots. I got news for you. He put out a song last year, 2021, called Far From My Homeland. 
so, because his homeland doesn't exist anymore. Right? Yes, West Germany. It's just now it's just Western Germany. Like, what what fun is that? But yeah, strange dude. He's been on all kinds of German TV shows, and he did a bunch of Russian concerts and stuff. So he's been around. It's weird to think that pop culture is just what you can see in the United States because. I, I'm constantly reminded that it's not, you know. Like yeah, when we, I had, it was either to you earlier or to somebody else. I was having a conversation that like Eastern European pop culture is very strange, very strange. And even though he's not Eastern European, he's kind of in that. I don't know. You can make an argument that Germany belongs in Eastern European pop culture wise because Klaus Nomi is also German. <laughs> And Klaus Nomi kind of fits into that weirdness of Eastern European pop culture, you know? And so does our friend Taco over here. And you know what the weirdest part about it is? Taco's not even his stage name. That's his birth name. <laughs> yeah, it's like Taco Tarkovsky or something. It's, so, you know what? Dude, lean into it. He's been in a bunch of, he was in a bunch of plays in the 70s. And, and uh, I'm looking at a picture of him over here now. And it looks like he, he does like a radio show now. Uh, oldie 95 uh, looks like it's uh, I guess he's working as a DJ now sound so. sounds about right worst song ever is not that bad a song from a guy who's way weirder than we thought he was good for him, good Dang, for him. congratulations for not being dead taco next week we'll be talking about oh. the Uzbekistani sensation quesadilla <laughs> he kind of looks like Gary Newman with like mushy squishy cheeks Yes. He looks like Gary Newman and Dizzy Gillespie had a baby. Yeah, well, he does now. In his yeah. prime, he looked like Gary Newman and Dizzy Gillespie had a baby and stuck uh, George Michael's hair from Wham! on his head. <laughs> All right, so uh, before we wrap up the show, we have our very popular and always well-received trivia question. My question for you this week was, which word in the English language has the most definitions? Anti-disestablishmentarianism. That's a full out of word. <laughs> no, that, that's not my guess. That's just me blurting out the longest word that I can think of. Okay. Uh, is. All right, Mr. Clinton. That's, that's right. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> depends on what your definition of is is. Well, there's 375 definitions of is. We'll pick the one that you want. All right. So the answer to the question, uh, I, I, this conflicting over here, but uh, the, the answer that I'm getting, the word run is in uh, has over 640 different meanings in the Oxford English Dictionary. Run. Whose house? The word run has Run's 600 house. and right now 645 different meanings. Hmm. Well, that's a pretty good run. <laughs> See? Good, pretty good run of definitions right there. I'm going to run downstairs and eat soon. Pulling up second place at a mere at a at a humble 430 is the word set. Set has 430 definitely. Huh. Well, there you go. Yep. All right. All right. So that is going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. You can find us and message us on Instagram and Facebook using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Make sure you spread the word and tell all your friends about the Twibbly podcast. Dan Quayle never listened to Twibley, and look what happened to him.